0: There's a story that we've been following, <clears throat> and we haven't been faithfully following it every week, but it's the story of uh, a man that we are all impressed by, <clears throat> and his life is Abraham. His story runs from Genesis 11, and it keeps on going through part of the book. And I don't think there's any of us who have done any Bible study that would say that, if that this man's um, char- chief characteristic, none of us would doubt it's his faith. In the New Testament he is, he is called on uh, as an example of faith time and time again in the New Testament. Book of Romans does it, the book of Galatians does it, the book of James does it. Talks about this great man of faith and yet there is times and we'll see one of them in here in just a moment. In Genesis 15 for instance he's already been walking by faith. He has left his homelands and remember leaving homeland back in that era of time. Leaving your family, your homeland and moving any distance whatsoever. That was huge. Okay, Generations ago, people didn't travel like we travel today. And so him going by faith, and and by the way, his move was such that he rented the U-Haul and he didn't have destination put down because he went until God said stop. So he didn't know where he was going. And so here's this guy who's operated by faith. He's turned against and turned away from his family gods, put his faith in God, Jehovah only. And yet we come to chapter 15 and we find that he has this lapse. It's not a big lapse, but it's just a momentary struggle. That what happens in Genesis 15 when you read the words, it's talking about all of a sudden reading verse 1, after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, And in the Hebrew it says stop fearing. It doesn't mean now, don't you fear in the future. It's saying, Abram, you, you, you're starting to get fearful. You've got to stop being fearful at this moment. And as the passage unfolds, let me give you some reasons why God says he doesn't need to be fearful. In the middle of what he's doing, God gives him some good reasons here in this text. Why he should just continue to trust and not have so many doubts or difficulties. And I'm going to rephrase it this way. How do you and I keep trusting even when some of the crises, the changes, the difficulties come into our life. What do we think of? What do we focus on? Well here's the three things that come out of this text. Remember that you're not alone. Remember you're not alone in the struggles. Now I'm not talking about you're, you're not the only one who's going through the struggles. That's something that we read in the New Testament where he says that, you know, that we all go through and endure difficulties. But in this text when he's talking he's saying these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. What's interesting is when it says the word of the Lord came to him. I want you to mark down. Maybe it would be helpful to you to keep this in perspective. It's been 10 years since he's heard from God. The line has gone dead for 10 years. And all of a sudden God is coming to him. You're not alone. Now now let's just pause before we go any further. Before we look at what God says in his text to Abraham why would Abraham be fearful at this moment? What would there be going on in his life that would, or in recent days that would cause him to have any kind of apprehensions, any kind of difficulties? I can think of several within the context of the chapters. Okay, Number one is this. His struggles could be because of the threats that are going on around him. Do you remember chapter 14? He has just gone and done battle to free Lot from all those other kings, five other kings who had invaded the territory. You read in chapter 14, that there was a group alliance of five kings that had conquered and had had tribute from all the different city kingdoms around Abram. And uh, these people were in charge for 12 years. They were getting tribute. And so some of those city kings decided to revolt. One of them was Sodom and Gomorrah was involved with it as well. Those five other kings came with their armies and they beat up these city kings. And they took many of the people captive, including Lot, Abraham's nephew. So Abram gets his men together and he goes after those five, those five marauding kings and he beats them in battle. Okay? And so you know, they're not a threat to the, to, the, to the city kings for a bit. But ten years, you know, several years are going by, can they rebuild their forces? Okay? Could somebody who's been beat up want and seek revenge? Okay, could they rebuild their forces in time? Could they be mad at Abram for showing them up? And by the way, let's just be real, real frank about it. What is the motivating factor for many people to try to get back on the top of the pile? Isn't it money? They lost income, Abraham took away their tribute money. So these guys could easily come after Abram. And so they could, over a period of time, they could become a problem again. They could become an issue. So there is, in the back of his mind, there could be the fearful factor is, we've got some enemies out here who want to get revenge on me. It could be potential losses. Remember the land that he's living in has had famines. When he first moved there in Genesis 12 there was famines in the land. It could be that he's wondering how he's going to provide. You know, as time goes by. He's given the best land to Lot when they divided who's going to go which way. It could be that he's in chapter 14 he's given up the rewards and the tribute money that the king of Sodom was going to give him. And he said I don't want it. But if all of a sudden he has a bad crop. Remember he's got lots of servants. Some of you know what this is like. It's not just the pressure of providing for yourself. But if you're running a business you're providing not just for yourself but who else? All those other people work for you. And that can be added pressure. And so that could be a fear factor that he's struggling with. Another fear factor could be the passing of time. As I said it's been 10 years since he heard in Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 where God said you're going to have generations. You're going to have nations come out of you. And they and whoever blesses them shall be blessed. Whoever curses them shall be cursed. But 10 years have gone by and there's still no child. There's 10 years going by, and quite frankly, he and his wife are not getting any younger. Okay, And God hasn't spoken to him. There is no no reference in the Scriptures that he's even had a vision from God, a dream from God, or even heard a tweet from God. There's nothing. You and I, we have the Word of God. We can go to it every day, but he's got nothing. And so time goes by. You know, if you haven't heard from somebody for a year, you begin to think that maybe... Maybe something happened to them. Or maybe they forgot you. Maybe they're preoccupied. Maybe God has kind of just forgotten about me here in this desert land and he's busy with other people who are more important. So there could be a fear factor there. Now some of you can relate to that. Have you ever been afraid, quote unquote, that your prayers aren't being heard? that God has just kind of left you on a shelf. There could be a fear factor of this, his personal tendencies. Here he is, you know, he's the type of guy that he wants to resolve things. He's, a, he's the you know, type A personality. He's the one that you know, he moved. I mean, not many people would move and pack up their whole family and leave their clansmen, but he did it. Not just once, but twice. Not only from Ur, but from Haran as well. And then he's the guy that's taking the initiative to resolve issues when all of a sudden Lot and he, were, their tribesmen, were having problems. He's the one to all of a sudden, let's go fight a war against people that you know we don't know all of their, their resources and their battle. But he's the type of guy who, sitting still is tough some of you can relate to that where it's sometimes the hardest thing to do is just be patient or be still and know that yeah okay some of you relate to this it's hard to sit and be quiet why what did what did you say a moment ago we want to resolve the thing we want to settle the thing and then on top of it maybe god will settle it different than i would anyway yeah and so he 's got these issues going, and God comes, and God speaks to him, and here he is, a godly man, a man who is commended for his faith, and yet he 's having a moment where he 's starting to fear God or fear situations and and God has come to him, and says, "Now, wait a minute, calm down, take a breath, you know, slow it down. you know just don't get in such a panic. I watch my son dealing with his daughter, and one of the things when she gets the boo-boo, whatever it is. She wants to go into female hysterics. Oh, and that's bad. I shouldn't say it that way. She wants to go into little girl hysterics. Okay, it's not gender. It's little girl. Forgive me, ladies. Okay, uh, uh, don't go into hysterics. <coughs> and one of the things that they keep on doing is they say, now, calm down, take a breath. Take a breath. Calm down to stop the the volume. Okay? And just calm down. A- Abram's had a moment where calm down take a breath and God tells him to do it by saying this to him chapter 15 verse 1 God says to him and when he talks he says okay Abraham here's what I want you to do I want you to stop fearing and then he makes these statements I am your shield I am your exceeding great reward that shield immediately refers to I'm your protection I'm the one who's protecting you remember he's got these other kings on the horizon that could be causing him threats I am your shield. If we were to bring that into 2017 how would that, how would that speak out? What kind of words could we say when I am your shield, I'm your protector, I'm the one who's going to deal with your enemies, the threats against you. Maybe we would say it this way I'm your security system. I'm your military. I am your police force. I am your doctor. I am your insurance company. Would be the way we and I we would understand this and be more relevant for you and me. And he's saying, "Just calm down. I'm taking care of it. I got it covered." And then he says, "Not only am I your shield, but what's his next line? In the same pat, in the same verse, I am your what? Okay, exceeding great reward. Anybody have another translation for that? Okay, the idea is, I'm your riches." Okay, I'm the one who's taking care of you know, your needs, your provisions. We would have this idea that if he, was, uh, if he was nervous about financial loss, loss through a famine, loss through a raiding, whatever, God's saying, I got it covered. We, if God were speaking to us today and using modern terminology, he'd basically say, I'm your retirement plan. I'm your bank account. I am your banker. I'm your, your financial advisor. I got it covered calm down. I'm your social security plan. I'm it. Then God says something else to him. God goes a little bit further in verses 4 and 5. Now watch what he goes on. He says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir. Why, why does that happen? Because look at verses 2 and 3. Abraham suggests he is fearful about the future because he still doesn't have a child. Time has been passing. So what does he suggest to God? He says, I still go childless. Why don't you let my steward, Eliezer, become my heir, become my my son? Behold to me you have given no seed, and lo, no one is born in my house um, to be my heir. And it would be very proper in that day and age that you would adopt somebody, even an adult, could be adopted, become your legal heir. If any of you remember Ben-Hur, that movie? Yes, no? No? Okay. Do you remember in the, in the thing he rescues that that Roman naval officer? And even though he's an adult he gets adopted into his family and he inherits everything in the Roman citizenship and all that. That's very common in those days. So, God, so Abraham is saying why don't you let me adopt my servant? He's a good man, he can become my son. And God responds to him and says now you know, again stop fearing and he says uh, this shall not be your heir but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said look now towards the heaven tell the stars if you are able to number them. And he said so shall your number of your children shall be. And he believed in the Lord and he was counted to him for righteousness. The God's response basically is saying now listen. Okay, I'm going to take care of this. I'm your shield. I'm your riches. I am going to keep my word, my promises. You are going to have a child. I can handle this. Just realize you are not alone. I'm here. I've got it under control. You're not by yourself. You and I can have this. Remember those moments when we put our kids to bed and the kids are in the bedroom and you might be just just a hallway away from them. But if they have a scary moment, what do they say? Mom, Dad, come. And they want you to be where? Down the hall? No, they want you to be right next to them or they be right next to you out out there watching TV with you. Okay, But they want that comfort. They want that closeness. And God is saying, I'm here. I'm here. You haven't heard from me, but I haven't left you. I'm here. I'm your shield, I'm your riches, I'm going to keep these, keep what's, what's needed, don't worry about it, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That idea, lo, I'm with you always, is very important for Abraham to remember, that in the middle of his crises, when he's got those moments that are all of a sudden, you hit the bumper of a gypsy, he comes after you and chases you, you get back to your apartment and you're just in a panic and you don't want to go out anymore and drive, okay? And you definitely don't want to go to that side of town. But you have to remember what? I am not alone. I am not alone. Why? Because the Lord's with us. He gives them another comment here. Okay, well, here. Let me, let me see if I can give you, uh, via illustration. You tell me which one is peaceful. There was a competition done to paint a picture of peace. And here are the basically the two that were the top contenders. Somebody showing a serene little bay where you could have that boat that a lot of you and I would say, wouldn't that be cool to be at right now? And just kind of relax or does this look peaceful? Okay, there you have this raging storm, but way down in the, in the corner of the picture you don't see this unless you get close. And this was the one that ended up winning, because in the middle of all the storms and the floods what do you have? The bird that's just having the chirping moment Okay, that's being there, where there's peace in the middle of all kinds of chaos. Well, God says, you know, I want you to have this peace and chaos. I don't want you to be afraid. So remember, I am with you. Then he tells him something else. He says, remember that you have the Lord on your side. You have the Lord on your side. And it's a little bit different in this sense that what he does is God starts talking to him and telling him what he's going to do for him. Like Abraham, I've given you personal promises you know, and he reminds Abraham, and, and watch how this unfolds. He says, Abraham, I've already told you you're going to have lots of kids, and I'm going to say it again. You're going to have so many kids, they're going to be as the number of the stars that you can't number. Look at what happens then, Then, as you go on, and he says in verse 7, I am the Lord that brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Give me some type of sign. Give me something to confirm this. And God speaks to him and says okay okay, I want to give you something. In verse 9 God says take a heifer three years old, some type of cattle, take a she goat three years old a ram three years old and turtle dove and a young pigeon. He took them and he says divide them in the middle, cut them in half and lay each piece one against the other but the birds divided he not. And so he's going to have him do something kind of like this. Where he lays these animals out, and this is very ancient Near East (A.N.E.). This is their customary thing when you wanted to do some really serious vow, real big commitment. Sometimes in, mo- in more modern medieval ages, cut your wrist and you know, um, you know, share become blood brothers. Okay, that type of thing. Um, you, know, you, know, you know, today we joke around signing away your firstborn. Okay, some of you might be tempted, okay, after a bit. But, you know, that means you're really, really serious. Well, in those days, you take this animal, you cut it apart, and you walk through it, and you're saying basically what? If I don't keep my end of the bargain, this is what's going to happen to me. This is so serious I am really really serious about this this is a a covenant that I'm making and what what God says is you do this, lay the animals out and as you go through the passage what happens that night it says the sun goes down a deep sleep on Abram and then he goes on and God says to Abram verse 13 know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger etc, etc, etc and it goes down to verse 17 it came to pass that when the sun went down it was dark behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp fire some type of fire is going to pass through those pieces. Remember, fire is representative many times of the presence of God, the burning bush, the fire that showed up at Solomon's temple, uh, the fire that comes down from heaven. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. This torch, this lamp, this representation of God passes through these critters and basically saying, I am committing myself very seriously. I'm giving you my word that this is my oath. I will keep my word. You shall have children, you shall be able to possess this land. And so God's giving his promise, putting it, he's signing on the dotted line and he's making it very, very clear. Now in the middle of this, verse 11 is interesting. In verse 11 he says that the animals are there and all of a sudden the fowls come down and they're after the carcasses. When he says the fowls, what kind of birds are you picturing here? Okay, the vultures, the crows, you know, the uh, you know, roadkill birds Okay, showing up to get something. And so Abraham is going to chase him away. Now what is that all having to do? And then look a little bit further. It says, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. What's interesting is uh, many different authors conclude that what this is, is this is giving us a sense that even though God is going to fulfill his promises, there may be some conflicts. There may be some challenges. There may be some attacks that may come. And it's, but, but God is still going to keep His word. And by the way, you know that's true, don't you? You know that this has been your experience, that the Lord will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord will meet all your needs. But do you have some vultures that come into your life? and try to pick away at times, sure. And so he's got this whole thing happening and it's, it's going on in this whole scenario and uses some of the same words that are used for some of the uh, the torture that the Jews go through down in Egypt. Point being is this, God is giving his promise and he is saying, I am, so, I am so committed to you, I am taking and signing on the dotted line. You don't have to sign the covenant, Abram. I am signing it. I am passing through. I promise I will keep your word. keep my word. In other words, God is on our side and he will keep his promises to us. But not only that, what's interesting is that God is on our side and he's the one who knows all about the future. Look what he tells Abraham. And to me I find this very, very reassuring. He says, by the way Abraham, know of a surety, verse 13, that your seed shall be a stranger in in a land someday in the future. It's not their land. They're going to be there and serve them for 400 years. Do you remember what he's referring to? The future generations of Abraham. What's he telling them is going to happen to them? They're going to end up down in Egypt for how many years? 400 years and what's going to be their their position in Egypt? They're going to be slaves. This is hundreds of years before it happened. God is saying, here's what's going to happen to your kids. Here's what's going to happen to your children. Then he mentions in verse 14. He says, okay, they're going to serve there, but then they're going to come out. They're going to survive as slaves, and they're going to come out. I I know all about this, God's telling them. And when they come out, they're going to come out with great substance. In other words, they're going to get the riches of the people who were their captors. And then he tells him as he goes on, in the fourth generation they shall come hither. Oh, and let me back up. He says, in verse 15, he says, Abraham, um, you're going to live to be an old man. You're going to live to an old age. And he tells him in verse 16, your generation shall come back into this land where the Amorites are, the land of the Canaanites. What's interesting is God is giving him future history, God is telling him, you can trust in me right now because I know what 's going to happen in the future. I know what 's going to happen in your life I know what 's going to happen in your kids lives, and I know all about your future you and I you and I we let 's see if we can pretend how one, one uh, fellow was describing it. We go down to Memorial Day Parade here and whether it be in palmyras or here in Lebanon, and we have these parades and the way you and I usually sit and we watch them, we pick our spot on the street corner and we watch, and we only see one thing come at of time. Correct? We can't see the whole parade. But who could see the whole parade? Okay, somebody from a loftier position could see what's all coming and what's all ahead, even before it comes down the street. Doesn't God have the lofty position to know what's coming down the road in our life? To know exactly and to know, okay, I, I, maybe I should position this, 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 so that when it happens, it's at this time. I'm amazed by the divine providence of putting things into our life before we know that they're happening. Okay, here, I'll, I'll take you to a scenario you're all familiar with. Two years ago, Mark and Oreb Pereira were wondering where is God moving them from the ministry that they have in Alba Freyu where he was working and he was the pastor of that church. But they were very convinced that God wanted them to turn that over to another Portuguese pastor. They left that church. They were uncertain where God would have them to go. They prayed. They fasted. They finally came to a conclusion, we think the Lord is leading us towards Castelo Branco, where Alan and Barb were. And just to give assistance for a period of time. Nobody knew there was going to be a cancer. Nobody knew Alan and Barb would have to step away from that ministry and somebody needed to be there to keep the church going, to keep the camp ministry going. Nobody knew that except for God. Did God have have that all orchestrated already ahead of time so that the ministry that many of you have gone and invested time and energy could continue to flourish and prosper? God is in control. This isn't a a surprise to God. When somebody says, oh the x-ray showed up something, God knows what's happening. He can be working and coordinating and bringing the right people at the right time because God knows our future. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be fearful. Why? Because our God on our side knows our future and our God is faithful to us. He not only gives us promises, He not only knows our future, but He is faithful. Look at how He says in Um, And it was already mentioned, Jane, I think you were the one that brought it up, where you said that when when moments come, you think back on God's faithfulness. Look at verse 7. That's exactly what God has Abram do. He says, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. I've already been working in your life. Look back at what I've done for you. I brought you a long distance. I've kept you through a famine. When you went down into Egypt and almost lost your life, I took care of you. When you went into battle, I was there by you. And so he's telling him that he's the one who's been faithful up to this moment, all this time. And reminding him that no matter what happens, he has been there. He has been guiding. He has been protecting. So he's saying, you can trust me. Now folks, if you remember back, some of you won't remember this, but back in 19 there was a real fear, scare situation in the U.S. There were several bottles of Tylenol, I think it was the Chicago area, wasn't it? That they were tainted with cyanide. Do you remember this? That there was that, and several people died of this. Those people had total faith and total trust that their medicine that they were taking was not tainted. Okay? Their faith wasn't, the, wasn't what was bad it was the object of the faith. What we're talking about is that you and I have an object of our faith that will not fail us, will not trick us, hasn't been been tainted. It's God. Nothing has tainted him. Nothing has polluted him. He is faithful. He does know the future. He is with us. He is coordinating things. He will keep his word. And he says, you don't have to fear. Because I am a solid object where you can put your faith in. And so what we have in this story is Abraham basically being told, hey listen, I'm on your side and I am able, and he's just told him, I am able to control national organizations. I can move kingdoms. And I will move kingdoms. Your generations will become slaves, they'll become freed. He says, I am so powerful, I can, re- I can take care of natural You know, natural order. Like your body, Abraham. Your body and your wife's body, they're beyond childbearing years. But I can handle that. I can take care of that. He's telling him that basically I can fulfill any and all promises. That's how big, that's how great I am. And he says, it's good to have God on your side. Gives him a third, a third encouragement for trust. And that's, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be rewarded. He says in this passage, okay, you're going to have children, you're going to have heirs if you trust me. That's the reward for Abraham. He tells him that your offspring are going to survive you know, the exodus, uh, the, the slavery, and enjoy the exodus. He tells them that you're going to end up, your generations will come back to this land after the time of the Amorites, that they will be there. But verse 6 is your most classic verse. It is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. It was counted unto him for righteousness. You know what he's saying in this text? He is saying, Abraham, here's your greatest reward by trusting me. You have salvation. You receive salvation. What better gift is there, folk, what better gift than to know we're going to be in heaven one day forever and ever? What, what more do we need? And, and We want. But what more do we need than to know our whole family could be together in heaven forever and ever? That's just the most precious gift. The most precious promise. And he's saying because of your faith you can come into God's family. Now, God's given us lots of rewards. God has promised us beyond that lots of things. But if we have faith, he's promised us salvation, answer our prayers, his, his peace that passes all understanding. I'll take care of your daily needs if you have faith in me. I'll, I'll, you know, those of you who have given up parents, family, friends, I'll multiply them hundredfold. I'll give you the fruits. You know, I'll give you victory over temptation. I'll give you endurance. And then he says on top of that, if you have faith in the middle of your crises, I'll reward you. I'll give you crowns. There are so many blessings for just walking by faith, walking by faith, walking by faith. We need to walk by faith. We need to remember that wavering trust is not acceptable to the Lord. It might happen to us, but it's not acceptable. Wavering trust is reinforced by a close walk with the Lord. Get those moments where you and God get alone, you take his word, you have that prayer time, you study, you meditate on what he's done, you meditate on who he is, and watch him bless.